Well, good morning, and grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 27, almost the very end of Matthew chapter 7. We continue our journey through a a brand new series we're calling Crosswords, the words of Jesus on the cross, and we're using this this wonderful little book by Erwin Lutzer entitled Cries from the Cross, and if you don't have your copy, we still have a couple dozen left, would love to get these in your hands. Lutzer does a great job looking at the seven different things that Jesus said from the cross. And we started last week, and we looked at the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And then Samuel did a great job uh, looking at words of compassion. Woman, here is your son. John, here is your mother. And today, like last week, instead of one big sermon, you're going to get a couple smaller sermons, and we're going to look at two more of the sayings of Jesus on the cross. And we start with maybe the most painful words to read, maybe the most difficult words to read, and they are really words of anguish. They're words of betrayal. And before I get to Matthew chapter 27, I want you to think about a time that you were betrayed. I want you to think of a time that, that you really felt like someone or someones had let you down. They had wronged you. And, and you had that, that, that feeling of anguish, that feeling of betrayal, and you just couldn't let it go. Maybe some of you, it takes you back to your high school days, and you thought he was the one, or you thought she was the one, and next thing you know, he's talking to someone else, or she's hanging out with somebody else, and you felt betrayed. Maybe it's something that, it, that is real fresh in your mind. Maybe it's from the job sector, or from uh, a relationship in the neighborhood, or someone that and you thought they were a great friend, and you really felt betrayed. I bet if we called former Illini football coach, and by former I mean in the last week former football coach Bill Cubitt, and said, Bill, do you feel betrayed? He'd probably have some words for us. He was probably disappointed to find out that just a couple months after being hired as the head coach, he was being fired as the head coach. It's tough when people betray you. I I thought a lot this week about times that that maybe I have felt betrayed or that maybe I I felt like I had betrayed someone else. And there was one story, um, one time from my past more than any other. And I got to be honest, the first time I started kind of working through this, I couldn't even do it without tearing up. I take you back to the year 2000, it was late spring, early summer, I think, and my daughter Jordan had just uh, turned four in March, and uh, unfortunately we found ourselves uh, meeting with a pediatric urologist over over concern that we had at that time, and the diagnosis uh, and the solution was that they were going to have to put a catheter in her, and man, no four-year-old should ever have to experience that. And so Marla and I tried to prep her, and we tried to encourage her, and we'd pray about it at night, and I kept saying, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. They're going to give you some medicine, and you're going to go to sleep, and you're not going to know the difference, and everything's going to be great. Well, I want to just say something, because I know many of you are in the medical field, and several of you are nurses, and I'm sure every person in attendance today is an awesome nurse, you're wonderful, you're loving, you're compassionate, Um, I'd give you five stars if I could, but the nurse we had that particular morning in Springfield was much more like Nurse Ratchet, Um, just not what I was hoping for at all. And she read the orders, and she said, you know, I'm not going to follow these orders that are in front of me. 
I don't think any four-year-old should have anesthesia of any kind. We're just going to put it in. And I'll tell you, that look, I'm tearing up right now just thinking about that look of betrayal from my four-year-old daughter. And she was a champ, and everything's great. There's no horror story that's attached to it. But, man, for that morning and for the days that followed, I can still hear her voice, Daddy, why did you let her do that? Why did you let her do that? Matthew says in verse 45 that from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, from noon until three on Good Friday, darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God! My God, why? What led Jesus to, to share those words? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that those are not unique words to the New Testament. If you flipped back to Psalm chapter 22, you would find this from, from David. David said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. We think of David as the king, or we think of David as the shepherd boy taking down lions and bears, or we think of David and his slingshot, you know, knocking down the nine-foot giant, but we don't think of David on the run. We don't think of David as afraid. We don't think of David as saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus remembered Psalm 22, and he cries out in anguish. It's the only words of Jesus on the cross recorded by Matthew or Mark. They, they don't give us anything else. Thank goodness for Luke, thank goodness for John, but only Matthew and Mark give us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And so for my short time this morning, I want to consider why does Jesus quote Psalm 22? Why did Jesus cry out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think it's possible, number one, that it's because of the extreme physical pain and agony that he is experiencing. See, the Romans had perfected crucifixion, and many of you know this. Crucifixion was the absolute worst possible way to die first century world. You actually suffocated to death. Imagine being nailed to a cross and suffocating to death. Have you ever been to the point where you just can't catch your breath? I remember doing the triathlon a year and a half ago, and, and, and I knew it was near, and I was almost done, and I got done, and people are handing me bananas. Don't hand people bananas, by the way, when you do a triathlon. Not helpful. They're handing me Gatorade bottles, and I really just wanted to, to throw up, but I couldn't throw up, and, and I just I couldn't get my breath. And I had to just kind of push everybody away, because I just needed to catch my breath. Jesus experienced that for six hours on the cross. Jesus had been beaten near death before he was nailed to the cross. So it's possible that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the extreme physical pain and anguish. That's a possibility. I think another possibility is the separation from God that he is now experiencing. You may say, well, 
I, I don't read about a separate. What, what do you mean a separation? Think back to Jesus when he was 12. Remember when he was 12 and the, the family was heading home and, and there was a big caravan and they were days into the journey on the way home and Jesus couldn't be found and there's this mad scramble and have you seen my son Jesus and no, we haven't seen Jesus and they went all the way back to Jerusalem and where was Jesus? It's in the temple. I'm sure Mary just gave him a tongue lashing. Jesus, what are you doing? Remember what he said? He said, well, wouldn't you expect me to be in my, my father's house? He couldn't get enough of God the Father. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says that very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up early to pray. Solitary communion with God the Father. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 says that Jesus prayed all night long. Solitary communion with the Father. And now on the cross, on that day we called good, a separation is taking place. And it's painful. It's agony. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is very much a possibility. I think the greatest explanation why Jesus went to Psalm 22, though, is right here. The burden and the weight of sin. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, perfect in every way, became sin because I'm a sinner. Because you're a sinner. You go back to the Old Testament, you read the 39 books of the New Testament, or Old Testament, and you try to study this, this idea of sin and atoning for sin, and blood has to be shed. And whether it's a dove or a, a lamb or a ram or another animal, that blood is shed and that blood covers that sin. And here on the cross, Jesus Christ becomes the one time for all time sacrifice for your sins for my sins and it was painful to become sin we think of hymns as being song songs that were written 300 years ago and many of the hymns were written hundreds of years ago but a guy by the name of Stuart Townsend wrote a hymn just 14 years ago 15 years ago and it's slightly controversial in some circles verse 2 reads like this in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. There are churches that refuse to sing this song. There are pastors that have changed, instead of the wrath of God was satisfied, they sing, the love of God was magnified. Because we don't want to think about the wrath of God. It's, it's much happier to think about the love of God. But understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he became sin for you. He became sin for me. If there's a verse that articulates this concept more than any other in the entire Bible, it's Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He said, God made him Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't say that he took our sins and he packed the duffel bag full of the sins and he put the duffel bag on his back and he went on the journey. It says, the sinless one became sin. For you 
He became sin for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you let me down? Where are you? I'm all alone. Charles Wesley, brother of the great John Wesley, wrote a ton of hymns. And one of them is in our blue hymnal that we never use. It's number 347. And it articulates this incredible love. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of God's amazing love for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to look at some tough words. Words of anguish. Words of betrayal. Words of heartbreak. And God, what's most difficult for me is the fact that sin is still around. Sin still entraps. Sin still entices. Sin still stings. And so God, we thank you so much for your amazing love. We thank you so much that you watched your only son, the sinless one, die so we can become the righteousness of God. Thank you for Jesus. We celebrate him today. It's in your name I pray. Amen.